Uh, belonging in community, we're going to be looking at Matthew 18, which uh, we couldn't figure out a good, I thought about sin and belonging, but that felt a little bit awkward. But it's the, uh, we're going to read this, and if I could get a volunteer to read this, Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, or whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I just realized my copy cut off the very last what Jesus said. So does someone have that? finish what Jesus said? <clears throat> no, not seven times Jesus replied, but 77 times. Thank you. All right. So any immediate takeaways about this passage? They obviously weren't Southern. What do you mean by that? I just mean like the directness of going to someone and not, you know, five, you know, one either gossiping about it before addressing it, or the fact that they would address it directly and not sugarcoat it in some way. And and I shouldn't accuse everyone of that. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. We'll get there. In reading some of the different translations, I thought it was interesting that this, if you or your brother sins, some translations say if your brother or, sin, or sister sins against you. And I thought that was an interesting thing that they've added on in later manuscripts. Um, of just that, that nuance there. Uh, what is, I mean, and that can be taken in many different ways of if you just catch your brother and sister sinning, or if it sins against you, or because that can, in some ways, I think that changes how that confrontation looks like. There's also, at, towards the end of it, there's some wisdom there given by Jesus. But oftentimes, Jesus doesn't give you a straight answer. It's these little aphorisms, these little snippets, sound bites. And for me, if I'm given instructions, I like to know every single detail. But here, you know, I can see myself asking people, well, how many, specifically, how many times? And he's just telling me, just, you know, take it by each, in each situ- situation, just continue to forgive. 
because you want to know when you can stop forgiving. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't end with like something I've noticed. Like it doesn't end with the fact that you tell them their sin, right? You're not just like trying to teach or instruct them. It's Jesus ends with like, like it's prompted by Peter. Like the the passage ends with forgiveness. So it's not just like confrontation. It's confrontation that flows into forgiveness. Yeah, I, I totally disregarded the uh, the sections breakout. Uh, the because you know, I'm like this, like, this flows too yeah. well. Like it doesn't make any sense because. After this, uh, Jesus goes into the story of the ungrateful servant, or the ungrateful master. Um, And so, one thing that, this morning when I was, you know, kept reading some of this, the thing that that got me is how many times I have looked at this when it says, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector, and totally read that the wrong way. Because mm-hmm. I've always thought, well, why is God saying, or Jesus saying, to treat them as an, as an evil person? But that's not how Jesus treated those people. Jesus treated those people with love and compassion. And so I just think that's a, you know, that's a... Jesus is saying, I think Jesus is saying, you know, as you would a pagan or a tax collector, but almost also inherently in there, he's saying, you better remember how I treated those people, because that's how I want you to treat those people. And maybe Jesus is saying, like, it's okay to make a boundary, but don't stop loving them. Yeah. Because it's, it's notable that Matthew is the one recording this. Mm, yep. Matthew, the tax collector. So why is the how we deal with sin important to belonging? Because you can so easily exclude someone by the way you respond to something. Exclusion? But also if you allow people to help you, like like ever said, and you don't Inclusive, not inclusive, not exclusive. Also, there's the many opportunities for reconciliation, not just one. Mm. And he keeps like building upon the opportunity for reconciliation. Like a re- reflection of our relationship with God as well. Stand on that. Well, how we deal with sin or people who sin against us, um, you know, I guess ought to be a reflection of how God has dealt with us in our sin. Um, so if the way that we deal with sin, I feel like, leads to, like, how do we love one another? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, sin can make you feel, like if I'm the one who sins, like I might feel unworthy. And then if someone then excludes me, then it's like confirmation of what I'm experiencing in myself. Um, 
and so like when when someone extends that to you, I don't know. It, it reminds me of you know like Luke, 15, like the passages in Luke fifteen, mm-hmm. for example, like yeah. the ways that <clears throat> community can like fight against like human sinful nature. Well, the passage right before this is a another variation of the Luke fifteen passage of about the sheep. If the sheep, if the shepherd goes, what shepherd's not going to go out oh, yeah. and go after the one? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think this is this is a perfect example. So, Neil, this gets to your original. What is Scripture not telling us to do? Go complain about the person. Somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't like you don't have to consult five different people about how you're going to talk to that person before you talk to that person. As an external processor, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. But it's it's needed. We have God now. Yes. <laughs> Not telling us to just give up easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if you won't, if he or she won't listen the first time, go back. It's not telling us just to avoid conflict completely mm-hmm. and just say, okay, well, I'm just going to avoid that person. Let them be them. It's not telling us to hold grudges. Mm-hmm. kind of people I mean I mean like I guess if I can't if I came and said to you, hey, you did this and this is wrong, you need to fix this or whatever and you didn't take it well, how would you respond if I came back to you with these people <laughs> and said it all again? So so I'm like I'm wondering about the nature of relationships that they're talking about mm-hmm. and who would those people be and how would that conversation go uh, mm-hmm. they obviously is very different than maybe what, what I'm imagining in my head right now. Well I think that that speaks to that there needs to be an inherency of connection mm-hmm. for this to even work well. Mm-hmm. Like even if you know you brought a whole group of people to one person and said yo you're sinning that per- if that person isn't connected to us in any way, that's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's like an intervention, you know, a lot. But like those people, I mean, a lot of times they're there to tell someone what they see in them in a positive way to how what they're doing is impacting that. Mm-hmm. And so um, rather than. <coughs> People coming to be accusatory, perhaps it's coming to say this is who you are, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there is a lot of a lot of that. Look, I think it's telling us that it's not just any sin, and, and I think I have personally seen it used a lot of times when someone just thinks or has seen somebody sin, but it's not sin against them. It's yeah. pretty clear that's what this confrontation is. You have sinned against me. We need to work this out. Not you have sinned as a Christian, and right. it is not my role to come and tell you and hold you accountable. And 
abuse happens. Yes. I think, too, this is, the scripture's not telling us to do this without God's help. Like, we're told, uh, if, if, if any two of you agree by anything that will be done, you love my Father, the more two of you are gathered in my name, and he'll be there among them. You're not doing, even the, if you take two or three, you're still not going without and that scripture is a direct reference to in Deuteronomy, where it says one person cannot be a sole witness. Like there has to be more than one witness to something for it to be right in the eye of the law. And so I I don't think it's saying if you know well if two people agree on something, then it's definitely gonna happen. I don't think it's a prayer, this is not a prayer passage, this is a going to confront someone or challenge someone. So why do we avoid difficult questions, conversations? Don't like to be uncomfortable. Don't like being uncomfortable. A lot of people don't like change. So they don't want their relationship to change because of a difficult conversation that you have to have for it to change. Um, so like if they hurt you and you have to have a difficult conversation for y'all to move forward, then they don't really want anything to change in the relationship because of what happened. So they avoid the difficult conversation so that they don't have to, their relationship doesn't change and they can try and keep it the same way it was before. Avoid change. I think also there's a fear of change. Yeah, also, there's a fear of vulnerability when you like have a difficult conversation. Like your feelings are involved, you're hurt. It's deeper than just oh, we can just talk about something. It's now we have to be vulnerable and kind of figure stuff. I think too, it could be how do we start the conversation? Like, what do you, how do you know what to say? Mm-hmm. You may have these. Like in your head, you might know it's going to be about how to present it, maybe. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to hurt that person. <clears throat> or maybe you can have this feeling of, I'm holier than now, and like, you don't want to have that, that feeling that somebody else can have toward you. So all those things to say, you just don't have it to begin with. Just be yeah, I, I can see situations in which, you know, I want to challenge someone or, or confront someone, but at the same time, they could probably throw something back right back at me. And I'm like, well, I don't have a, I don't have a voice then, so I'm just going to keep quiet. <laughs> And I like how it like starts off submissively where they're like, they might listen to you. And if you have anything, brother, if not, and then it goes into all of this. And so fast they should coming back at it as I tried, I thought it might go my way or it might go you know, in a different way and then it didn't. And so now you're already feeling like you're two steps behind starting the conversation. At least that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when you invite other people into your team, that's also the chance to check you. Right? Yeah. Like, how many times have you, you know, Hey, this situation, you're like, no, you're interpreting that wrong, and like, that's not a problem. Kind of deal. So you get corrected. You're trying to carry out this process. Marriage counseling 101. But I heard you say it was. <laughs> well, I was, I was thinking the same thing. Like, there's a, that doesn't mean that someone's experience is wrong, but like, there's a simplicity in my one perspective. But then when you hear someone else's, you like, 
the situation becomes nuanced, and then you discover, oh, well, maybe they were actually perceiving that I sinned against them first, and then instead of coming to me, they just, <coughs> they sinned against me. And so it's like, I don't know, I think that these conversations just cut into the middle of these, like, awful, like, like these awful sinful cycles that we do as people. I'm not sure we can have true belonging without hard conversations. Like, in, in marriage, in order to have deep communicative in, intimacy, you have to have the hard questions, hard conversations. Or either you're not going to get that true intimacy. Well, also, like, the, the steps of doing this allows, like, you know, like me and her had our first conversation, there's a lot can go wrong yeah. <laughs> in that first interaction. And then the second one, like you said, about people holding accountable, like, maybe you said it wrong, and having people being able to bring correction um, <coughs> to the conversation and see if that works. I think that a lot of us probably left It's just difficult to like between two people to reconcile the ways that we don't know conflict and so I think that like kind of fundamental like both people both parties have to be able to be built into that place to begin with and that can make these conversations really hard. Yeah. And similar when you can see that it looks like it goes wrong. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can definitely see when it goes wrong, you can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the family of origin stuff is always interesting to me. Like even just talking with friends of like, what were your parents like growing up and how they handle conflict? Because that can tell you a lot about what they're used to. So what's the fruit of having these hard conversations? I think a big one's trust. Trust? Mm-hmm. How so? Uh, like if you confide in somebody during a hard time, like you gain that trust that you can do that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Creates a place of safety. Mm-hmm. Understanding. Understanding. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Hopefully growth. On both parts, I think. Mm -hmm. I think often it also removes that air of assumption that we bring towards people sometimes. Because if we've actually had that hard, intimate conversation, we may assume less the next time, or we don't know about that person. It achieves the belonging. Wait, it achieves the belonging. Is that oh, it's not. Part? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I think that that's, you know, that is a fruit. You know? and, and it sort of it proves to both parties that there's more to your relationship or your friendship than what is easy and simple. Mm-hmm. And you can move past things that are challenging and maintain the relationship. It may, in my experience, having those hard conversations with friends strengthens it enriches the conversation that go closer to them than before. 
think it goes back to it helps us practice vulnerability. You know, this, which is, I think all of us have to practice that. Because we always, at least for me, I go through every day and I feel like I'm just building my wall up and I have to continually break it down, you know, that's not how I want to live my life. Big part of all of this is is pride. Mm-hmm. So you know, even Peter's asking why, how many times really has to do with his pride. And so I think entering into these conversations, like there's got there's got to be s- some level of humility and, and kind of swallowing your own pride, even if you're the one that is, is, has been harmed. Um, when this conversation started with who's the greatest in the kingdom, yeah. you know, so and then it just flows from there. You know, it's like who's the greatest, and then he brings the little child and says, "Do you be like the little child?" And you know, so it's it's like that's how they got here is that you need to be like a little child in so many ways in order to be part of the kingdom part of that, then with that openness and forgiveness that we have to I wonder if we would respond differently if God could actually tell us, hey, you're tattling, go and fix it yourself. <laughs> but we tell our kids, you know. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point, um, what he said about um, humility, because the only reason to have these conversations is for I mean, it's to reconcile and keep the body healthy and whole, and it does require us to humble ourselves to do that. Other than, but if we don't, we're living in pride. I don't want to deal with that person. Walls, and it's like not good for the body. Yeah, the health of the body, the entire body. So what does this look like in real life? As Neil kind of said, you know, what we don't even know what kind of relationships they had. Like in today's society, what is this? What are some barriers for us here in today's society to not follow this pattern? Cancel culture is really is really counterintuitive to what Jesus is saying here. You, know, you can't just say, "Well, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not just not gonna deal with you or interact with you anymore," because it's obvious that if you're in relationship with somebody, you need to work at it and not just cancel it. But that's very popular. Yeah, I think it rushes to creating that boundary mm-hmm. without the love. Like it's like mm-hmm. you're, yeah. you're, I'm not gonna. I'm not even going to think about talking to you because you believe that. How dare you say that? Mm-hmm. Or how dare you in the past have said something without really knowing where you are now? I think a lot of it is how you find out. Like right now, mostly you find out on the internet or find out on social media. These people like they say something and they're like, oh, you know, there is that boundary of it being on your phone and something that you said offhanded. It's like how you say, 
how this is working in a relationship together. It's all about my hurt. <laughs> um, this is similar to the same lines of like not knowing the depth of the relationship. But um, when we enter into these conversations, we're committing to the fact that I want to keep this relationship. And we're also putting, kind of putting out there that that other person isn't that committed to the relationship and doesn't want to reconcile, then that's a rejection on us. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we're kind of risking that. And I know that in situations like this, like what I've had in the past, I feel that acutely. That it's like, well, what if they don't care? If they, I tell them, oh, well, that really hurt when you did this thing, and they're like, well, then I just want to spend time with you. Like, I don't, I don't even want. Like, I'm not gonna. It's not worth changing to spend right. time with you. And so that's like another level of. Do they like? Am I that close with this person? Like, would they even care that it bothered me, or like that kind of you know, extra layer of that? I'd almost say a barrier now is time. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we can all be so busy. You know, you you brought up a great point about the Gentile and tax collector part. Because when I read that, I immediately thought treat them like an evil person. But when I think about time, I think of what did Jesus do with people like this? He went to their homes. He went to Zacchaeus' home. He went he spent time with people. I think now, in our lives, a lot of times, time can be our barrier that we don't have time to spend face-to-face -face with other people because we're too busy with other things. We don't have time to make that intimate relationship because we're too busy with so many other things. And I think sometimes, you know, that's, Jesus is a perfect example of how, how to build that relationship. Sit down with him face-to-face. I kind of look at it a little bit differently, I think. As far as like how this relates to culture now, everybody just seems, and I don't know if the pandemic crossed us out or whatever, everybody just seems a little more negative mm -hmm. than it feels like it's ever done. So I think as far as how this passage relates to today, it's easy for everybody to say, oh, you hurt me. I'm just going to cancel you. Yeah. Or it's easy. Um, um, you put a real scar in my heart. I'm not going to talk to you again. Mm -hmm. So I think what Jesus was trying to tell the Peter, if you really want to make a difference, it doesn't matter if it was his day or our day. Um, there should be no limit to the forgiveness you give somebody because that's how you can make a difference in this world. Not everybody does that. And I think that forgiveness, one of the things I think Jesus is telling me is that forgiveness is a process that I have to do every single day. Like it's not a one and done. And I almost thought that's something that Peter was not getting. <laughs> Um, again, because I don't get it, but because I want it to be a, a checklist thing. Like, I want it to be, I, I'm forgiven, done, mark it off, move on. And to Charlie's point, I mean, we are called to forgive time and time again. Now, as we talked about, as Josh talked about, hey Josh, and, you know, forgiveness does not mean carte blanche, you know, welcome them back in. I think there are times where you cannot welcome them back into a relationship, but you can still forgive them. Because forgiveness is not about the other person, it's about you. That's that's where the heart change 
comes from. Because when you forgive that other person, you're changing your heart. So in the last few minutes we have, I want to bring back up what Dio was saying about how all of this is bringing back with God in, in time. So what what is, I'll, I'll speak from, from my experience, that oftentimes I forget to bring God into the picture. I want to repair the relationship so fast that I forget to bring God into the picture. And so I think that how, so I, I'm asking help y'all. Like, what? How can we bring God into the picture before we even think about it? Like, what does that look like to tangibly bring God into the picture? I know, like, like in some of the times that Autumn and I have thought, like, there's some, so there's a difference sometimes between like when we like pray before a conversation and when we don't. I don't know, just like inviting God into it because then it reminds us of like all the things that we um, that we say that we believe and that we want to do, and that He tends to like honor some of those. So like just inviting Him into a conversation instead of just like rushing into something um, is is a good way, at least I think for us. I don't know if you would say. I liked what Neil was saying with the intervention of beginning with what they see is positive. Like seeing the positive, seeing what how they see God in them, that person is a good way to start. Of yeah. uh, you know, that you're not all evil. You're human. Yeah, the the re- this is just the research says like in a relationship, like do you want to have a five to one positive to negative rate uh Interaction ratio for a relationship to like be successful. Um, that's just a sidebar. And in work, they uh, tell me to use a, a critique sandwich. So yes, positive, <laughs> negative, positive. Sometimes it's really hard to find that last positive based on how they handle the negative. Yeah. Uh, even just following the instructions of His Word um, allows God to be in the midst of it. I had someone tell me recently in regard to like when you're arguing with somebody, instead of looking at it like, oh, I'm fighting against will, it's like we are fighting against evil or like whatever that is, and God is right there too. So it's not like me versus him, it's us versus something else that's trying to get in between. And that is a really cool mind shift. It's hard sometimes to recognize in the moment, but you can be mindful of that. Super you're hearing that much sooner than I heard that. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the scripture that reminds us that it's not against flesh and blood. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times we want to make it real personal. It's like, yeah. it hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. 